So the title of today's message is What the Gift Does. Yep, What the Gift Does. Our primary scriptures will be Ephesians 4 and Galatians 1. So if you want to go ahead and turn to them and and mark them, you can. We're going to be spending a lot of time in Ephesians 4 and Galatians 1. So if you want, go ahead and turn there. Now, the graphic that we have for what the gift does, it's got Iron Man, which is clearly given as a gift. Now, I'm not saying that the fivefold gifts have superpowers. I'm not saying they don't. I'm not saying they do. I'm not saying that I don't fight crime late at night wearing an amazing outfit that I designed. I'm not saying I do or don't. But if I did, it'd look a lot like that. And it'd be made of iron. And I'd have a lot of money like Tony Stark. But what the gift does. We're going to be studying from Ephesians 4. And Ephesians 4 talks about about five gifts. It talks about five gifts given to the church that we know as the five-fold ministries, the five-fold giftings. And uh, I can't cover five today. I'm going to just cover two. So I'm going to talk about uh, what do pastors do, what the pastor does, what the elder does, and then I'm going to talk about what the apostle does. What do elders do? What does a biblical job description of shepherds, pastors, overseers, elders, those terms we all use interchangeably. A pastor is an elder, is an overseer, is a shepherd, okay? Same term, same same word. So what does that biblical job description look like? What do we do? I'll tell you this much. It won't be in the job description I'm about to read in Scripture, but it does involve a lot of coffee. A lot of drinking coffee. I don't know why no one has ever been like, hey, Mark, can we get together this week over a chocolate malt? But I'm just saying that'd be lovely. Okay? That'd be welcome. But if not a chocolate malt, I guess coffee will have to do. We drink a lot of coffee. I guess that's just the way it is. I could provide you with a list of tasks that range anywhere from uh, landscaping to hospital visits. But I'm not here to talk about tasks. What do the gifts do? What does that gift of an elder do? So let's get right to it. God lays some things out for us in Scripture and tells us what some of the things are that elders should do. So I'm briefly going to touch on on seven of them. I really am. I'm just going to kind of fly by. So I'm going to read some Scripture And I'm going to read it just one after the other, and then I'm going to circle back on these, okay? So uh, if you need my notes later, you can, or just quickly write down the address, you know, and you can circle back on it later. So what what do elders do? Acts 6.4 says this, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Acts 20.28 Acts 20, 28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and we will be coming back 
to this passage as well. This is our core passage. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Titus 1.9 He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. James 5:14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And my last passage, 1 Peter 5, 1-4. through 4. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, when Jesus appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So based on the description that we see in the Word, there's seven areas of ministry that all elders should be involved in. There's more, there's more than seven. I'm just going to touch on seven. But, but of these seven, every elder should be involved in these areas of ministry in some way. Number one, pray for the church. Prayer. Prayer. Prayer is so important. I tell you what, there's times that, that on, on Wednesday night prayer, you know, that we have a, a good crowd. There's times we don't. But the times when it's the smallest, there's one elder here. Almost always there's two elders here, and usually there's more than that. But there will always be elders at prayer because prayer is vital. And praying for the church is one of the responsibilities of eldership. The elders are to devote themselves to praying for the spiritual health and the vitality of the people in the church. And to lift God up and to lift up the needs of the people. I'm going to go through these quickly, so I'm serious. If you need my notes, this isn't even really what I want to preach on here. It's the next part. Number two, teach and minister to the church. Elders are to be involved with the teaching and the ministry of the church. It says that one of the qualifications of an elder is that they must be able to teach. 
So part of our responsibility is to make sure that we are bringing the Word of God in such a way that's easy to receive, that nourishes, that builds up, that feeds. This shouldn't be the only meal you receive this week. If it's the only meal you eat this week, you're malnourished. You've got to feed yourself throughout the week, but when you come in here, now we're going to lay before you just a feast of what God has put in front of us, of what He says to share. Number three, lead the church. Elders are to be continually seeking the will of God for the church. Through constant prayer, through the study of Scripture, through wise and prayerful and thought-out consideration of the needs and the opportunities of the church and in the church. Elders should regularly seek the input of the people in the church because perspective is valuable. But when it comes to the responsibility of leading the church, that falls on elders. That's what we see in Scripture. Four, care for the church. We should demonstrate loving care and concern for the spiritual well-being of the people in the church. We should be available. Available to pray. Available to minister, to counsel, to listen. Be available to care for the church. Whether it's a spiritual need or a physical need or emotional or mental to be there to pray, to lay hands on, to anoint with oil, to point to Jesus. The next one is guard the church. The elders are to be constantly on guard against false teaching or harmful behavior in the church. They must be able to refute false teaching and act decisively against anything that's destructive that would come against the church. This is one of those that's challenging. This is one of those that's difficult. Because we are we are not to control, we're not to be domineering, is what the passage read, and we've got to be full of faith. But ain't no way. We're going to sit by quietly when we see something rising up against the unity of the church. We're going to speak against it. We're going to speak the truth in love. But... We have to guard the church. And the last one is equip the church. The elders are not responsible for all the ministry within the church. But through our ministry, we are to equip the saints. Say, I'm a saint. Not Mark's a saint. Say, you're a saint. Say, I'm a saint. Equip the saints for the work of ministry equip the church. We're not supposed to do every ministry. It's a really jacked up church if we're doing all the ministry. It's flawed. We're to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And, and, And that's part of our ministry. But we're all in this together. There's togetherness. There's team. Everything we see in Scripture is team. God, the Godhead, the Trinity is team. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Team. Jesus didn't do this alone team. He immediately raised up and called team. Who who then raised up and called team. So let me make a couple points that are very clear. Not, Not every elder will be equally skilled or gifted in every area of responsibility. 
But in these areas I listed, we all have responsibility. Some elders will be better leaders than teachers. Some will be excellent at teaching in small groups or one-on-one, but not teaching in large group settings. Some will be will be better with with certain care ministries, and others will be better with uh, administrative leadership. And this is healthy, and this is normal, and this is the results of the biblical pattern of leadership, of eldership, of team. The strength of each elder will complement and balance each other. We're supposed to be different. I just want you guys to know that me and Andy's heart is is eldership, increased eldership. We, we don't want to, to have an eldership of two. We're constantly asking the Lord, Lord, would you, would you tell us who you're calling? Would you let us know who you're highlighting? Lord, who are you calling in this church to walk in this, this mission of eldership? Diversity is good. Difference is good. Different perspective is good. They're needed. Not all pastors or elders will pastor as a full-time vocation. I'm the only elder that's, that's getting pay. We refer to, to Andy. He's a marketplace elder. He's in the workplace. And, and that's we want an eldership of the combination of those that are, that are paid and that are in here and then those that are marketplace because we need elders in the marketplace as well. Each elder is to share in the shepherding of the church. So I, I want to say something. I, I'm, I do the majority of preaching here. And, and I'm the only paid elder. And the fact that I do the majority of the preaching or the fact that I'm louder or more vocal or any of those things, please hear me. That does not in any way elevate me above Andy. We see in Scripture there is a plurality of elders. It was never meant to be a one-man show. There's one senior pastor in the church. And in 1 Peter 5, he's referred to as the chief shepherd, and his name is Jesus Christ. It is his church. He is the senior pastor. Everything we see after that is team. We see a plurality of elders. Because I do more of the preaching does not make me a notch above Andy. Okay? It is a plurality of elders. And the Bible does refer to this position and this function and the ministry that we do as a gift. It's a gift. I don't know, it doesn't always feel like a gift. And I might not always act like a gift or look like a gift, but I, I'm a gift. Everyone say, thank you, Lord. Okay, say thank you, Lord, for Andy then. So there's one more gift that I want to cover today, and this is the one that's really on my heart. And that's apostles. What do apostles do? What do apostles do? And please notice that I'm not saying what did apostles used to do. Okay? I'm not saying what did apostles used to do back when they were a gift 2,000 years ago. Some of the examples 
of apostolic function that I will talk about today. They come from Timothy and Titus, which brings me to an admission of error. So in 2012, um, we started a series, a preaching series called The Pastoral Letters. How many of you guys were here for The Pastoral Letters in 2012? Raise your hand. All right. So I, I, I taught a series called The Pastoral Letters from 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And I called them The Pastoral Letters because the word epistle means letter. And these books are commonly referred to as the pastoral epistles. So, uh, great series, just a ton of truth, um, a ton of great, you know, teaching throughout that series. But a couple years after the series, I, I was in a meeting with Tyron Daniel, who's going to be here with us next week. And Ty was teaching out of First Timothy. And, and he made this comment, and he didn't get sidetracked, so he just kind of threw it out there. He lobbed it out there and then went, stayed on, on track. But he made this comment. He's like, yeah, you know, First Timothy's called, you know, a pastoral epistle, but that's totally wrong. You know, I don't know why it's called that. Tradition calls it that. But nowhere in the Word of God does it ever call 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus the pastoral epistles. And I wish, <laughs> he goes, I wish, I wish pastors would quit calling it that because it's not scriptural. And I, and I don't even believe they were pastors. Timothy and Titus weren't pastors. Anyways, I'm going to get back. And I don't remember what he taught on from that point. Because at that, at that point, my mind's like, what do you mean they're not pastors? They have to be pastors because I teach a five-month series called the pastoral letters they have to be friends they're not I'm I'm sitting there letting you know right now um, the truth contained in that series is just as pertinent and relevant but, but the title of the series is off when you look at what Timothy did when you look at what Titus did it was an apostolic function we look at the commands of Paul the instructions of Paul And they were there in representation of Paul. Timothy and Titus operated in an apostolic function, not a pastoral function. And although they were shepherding and they were very pastoral in the ways that they ministered, they weren't pastors. If anything, they were apostles. But I'm not willing to throw down that, that, that title upon them. So let me just say this so that we don't get caught up in semantics. They were apostolic representatives serving an apostolic function directly on behalf of and accountable to the Apostle Paul. In a moment, I'm going to circle back and I'll give like a modern day pertinent example of this, okay? But number one, it was important for me to just kind of be honest and say, you know, as a pastor, one of the areas that we grow, we should always be teachable. And looking at scripture and, and I encourage you guys I mean I, this this week I read through those books all over again and I'm like sure enough the function they operated in was apostolic so I encourage you guys if you think no no Mark they were pastors you know let's get together and let's open up scripture together and it doesn't take long to read all three books and we can go through it but why, why do I camp on that for a little bit because apostolic function is vital And just because someone walks in an apostolic function doesn't necessarily mean they're an apostle. But I'm here to tell you that that function is just as vital today as it was back then. Timothy and Titus were official representatives of Paul. And he dispatched them to various places or churches like Ephesus or like Crete. 
to act in an official capacity, to deal with special situations, translated special people, to meet special needs. There were people whose actions were threatening to hurt the work and the ministries of these churches. And so there was specific instruction to deal with those people. And they were delegates of Paul sent to assist churches in setting up their ministries in pastoral care, but doing that exact thing, helping strengthen churches in pastoral care, is a function of the apostolic. So what do apostles do? So I want to do kind of opposite than I did with, with the elders. Elders, I just kind of read the scriptures and I read the, the items. But let's, let's go through scripture and I want to point out, I want to pause and point out and jump back. What do apostles do? Number one, they help equip elders. And I say number one, that's not number one, like the most important thing they do, number one. It's just the first thing I'm mentioning. And the things I'm mentioning aren't all the functions of an apostle, okay? I I just want to make sure. It's like, well, number one, Mark said number one. Number one meaning it's the first thing I'm going to talk about. They help equip elders for the care, conduct, order, ministry, and administration of churches. So let, let me read that again, and let me ask you, if, I'll ask you the question. As I read this description again, do you think this is something that might be valuable to you, the local church? This function I'm about to read again, do you think this is something that you might benefit from, that you might be strengthened from, that you might grow in, it might be a benefit to you? They help equipped, equip elders for the care, conduct, order, ministry, and administration of churches. Does that sound like a good thing? Does that sound like something that you benefit because I have somebody or multiple somebodies equipping me, equipping Andy? Was that, will that make us a stronger church? We're awfully quiet. These aren't trick questions. This is Maybe I'll do this. I'll do this just to make it safe. I'll nod real big. Yes, this is, this is good. So let's read the first three verses of 1 Timothy where Paul immediately gets to the point. This is amazing. Paul immediately gets to the point of what, I mean, no small talk. Gets to the point of what he wants Timothy to do. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That's nice, right? That's a nice, that's a nice greeting. That's often Paul's greeting to start the letters he writes. The very next verse, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Well, first of all, it's very rare that you'd have to tell a pastor to remain in town if he's a pastor. It does happen. Mark, stay in Erie. You can't run. Stay there. Okay? But but remain in Ephesus because he's there on an apostolic function, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. End of verse 3. Immediately Paul gets to the point. You're there in an apostolic function. There's some troublemakers teaching false doctrine. Those troublemakers were leaders. They were teachers. They were leaders. And they were elders most likely. 
He's like, you go in and you speak the truth in love, but you let them know that they're in error. Then in the very last chapter of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, he closes this letter with the same instructions. He just elaborates a little more. And everywhere in between, he addresses the order that Timothy is supposed to bring into the church. When you read 1 Timothy, read how it starts, read how it ends, read the middle and say, he is there on an apostolic function to bring order and structure to the church, to strengthen local elders so that they can lead that church with proper administration and proper leadership. So 1 Timothy 6, the very end, the last chapter, verse 3 says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Is that bold or what? Paul's like, correct those leaders. Go in there and correct them. Go in there and show them that what they're teaching is wrong. And if they refuse to change course, they know nothing. They are puffed up. They're conceited. You're not going to persuade them. You might as well go ahead and boot them out. Not my words. Paul's words. It actually says that we get, it's like the three strike rule. Twice you can, someone who's contentious and divisive, you can give them two warnings. Third one, you boot them out. Did you know it's in Scripture? Why? Because God cares about His church. Because this is His church. This is His bride. I'm a flawed man. I'm a flawed man. Michael's a flawed man. Harold's a flawed man. Well, you talk about our wives, and you're not going to see the godliest side of us. You come against my bride. You You try and divide my home. You try and divide my marriage? You try and separate me from my wife? You go see a side of me you have never seen as pastor, but maybe you've seen a glimpse of from time to time. My mom has seen. My wife has seen. I'm a flawed man. But I promise you this, Jesus is just as defensive over his bride, and he will not tolerate divisiveness in his church. Numbers 2 and 3. What do apostles do? 2 and 3. They provide order and they ordain elders. So Titus 1.1 says this. Once again, Titus, a pastoral epistle. It's not a pastoral epistle. I shouldn't have said that. It's not a pastoral... Because people are listening going, you just... They didn't see the finger quotes on the podcast. Okay. Titus 1.1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth which accords with godliness. Down to verse 4. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This, he gets right to it also. He gets right to it. This is why I left you in Crete. 
so that you might put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. You guys, side note, elders don't appoint elders. Elders don't ordain elders. Apostles do. That, that, that's an input of apostolic blessing, the laying hands of, and it's an apostolic prophetic ministry. And, and just, just to kind of, you know, let you guys know, um, when we bring in apostolic guys, and we want them around the church, we don't, we're not selfish with them. We don't keep them to ourselves and go, man, Andy and I sure did have a great time with, with you know, with that team member that was in. Sure was great just the, just the three of us to hang out and spend time together. We want him to have access to the church because in that blessing, there's times they're like, dude, that guy, man, that guy walks in government. Do you see it? And I'm like, can't we see it? That guy walks in government. Nurture that. Nurture that in that guy. It's, it's awesome. It's blessing. Why? Because apostles, they're there to edify, to build up, and to strengthen the church. And, and so th- there's that dialogue. There's that prayer. There's that hope. Does that make sense? Number four. What do apostles do? They're there to bring grace, peace, and encouragement to the church. Go through and read every letter that Paul wrote every letter that he wrote, it all starts with this wonderful, kind greeting of grace and peace and encouragement and strength to the church. Just read the beginnings, the first four, five, six, seven, eight verses of every letter, every book that Paul wrote, and you're going to see the same thing. The apostle Paul was all about strengthening the local church advancing the kingdom of God through the strengthening of the church. It included a building up of elders, but it also included just a, a proclamation of Jesus. Paul always, you never get, you never get ten verses, ever, in any book without Paul raving about Jesus. Did you know that? He can't wait to get to the topic of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to talk about the church. He wants to talk about Jesus and how it benefits the church. He doesn't want to talk about, like, Scumbags. He wants to talk about Jesus and how they don't have to be, you know, like bad leaders anymore. He, Jesus, he raves about Jesus. Galatians 1, 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I talk about, when I get excited when we bring in someone in who ministers apostolically, why wouldn't I get excited? They're going to minister peace and grace and encouragement and equipping. Why wouldn't I get excited? Church, why wouldn't we get excited about that? Number four. What do apostles do? They're there to remind us of the necessity of team. They're there to remind us that we are not alone and that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. And I'm so thankful about this aspect, this responsibility of an apostle to remind me of team, to remind us that we're not alone, to take our focus off maybe the, the what can be the smallness 
of the local church at times and to the bigness that we're included something worldwide, time-wide, right? Not just this time, time-wide. We're a part of something that people were walking out 2,000 years ago. We're in this together. It's big. There's a mission. There's a call. There's an advancement. And we're a part of it, and we're a part of it together. Paul said that in Galatians 1, 1 and 2. He said, Paul, an apostle, and all the brothers who are with me. Don't you love that? Apostle Paul says, Paul, an apostle, and all the brothers who are with me and to the church at Galatia. We're in this together. I'm not doing this alone is what Paul was saying. I'm not doing this alone. I've got bros with me. I've got sisters with me. I've got team with me. We are advancing the kingdom of God together, and you're with us, church at Galatia, church, church at Erie, church at at the Denver metro area? Number six. The apostle should always point us to Jesus. Always point us to Jesus. Now, I want to... I'm not going to camp here, guys. I I just want to make a statement. Please hear my heart. If there's someone who, who says they're walking in an apostolic function and they're not pointing us to Jesus, but they're pointing us to their ministry, they're not walking in an apostolic function. If there's people who claim to be apostles and they're only about growing their little kingdom, they are not a true apostle and their function is not that that it's apostolic. Because it's not doing these things. Apostolic ministry should always point us to Jesus. Always. Always. Still in Galatians. Still in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like that, he starts raving about Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And Paul can't go five. For us, it's five verses. For him, it's the opening stanza of his letter. He can't get past the opening paragraph without sharing the gospel message. And he does that every book. Every book he writes, apostolic function should always rave about Jesus. It should tell us that Jesus is the one who saves us from an evil, sinful world, from despair and death, and he delivered us, and he's alive, and he rose from the grave. And that our God, our Father, is to be honored. It should always, apostolic ministry always raves about Jesus. Number seven, my last point. To come in the authority of God to grow His church. Apostolic ministry comes in the authority of God. The result of Paul's apostolic ministry was an encouraged church, a strengthened church, a protected church, a guarded church, a stronger church, a church that endured, a church that thrived, A church that took the gospel to the nations that started in their region, that expanded. A more empowered church. 
You guys, what should stand out to us when we're reading Galatians 1? Above all, I think above all, is that apostolic ministry is God's idea, not man's. The apostle is a gift from God, not man. It's not man-generated, and it's it's not man-perpetuated. It's God's idea. Just like eldership is God's idea, just like the prophetic is God's idea, just like teaching is God's idea, just like the evangelist, the proclamation of Jesus is God's idea, these gifts, they're His idea. And they come in His authority. So back to Galatians 1, we're still there. Listen to what Paul makes it abundantly clear when he starts. Paul, an apostle. What are his next words? Not from men, nor through man, but through who? Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Apostolic ministry is God's idea. You guys, when when we have an apostolic gift in this church, we're making a huge mistake if we just go, oh, this is Craig. Awesome guy, funny accent, likes rugby. Good word. That's a mistake. When Tyron comes in, once again, funny accent, passionate dude, loves Jesus, good opinions, real good opinions. It's a mistake, friends. When we have an apostolic gift in this church, they don't come in their own authority, and they don't even come in our authority. They come in the authority of Jesus Christ. When Craig comes in here and preaches and and brings a word for us, what was our response? What was our response? We preached on what the word that Craig had for this church, that the Lord gave him, we preached on it for the next four weeks. We didn't just move past it. We didn't go, good opinion, good preach, good preach. And it was a good preach. And it was a good word. But it wasn't just an opinion. It was from God. We have to receive it as such. Are you guys with me? And, and this is, I know this isn't like, but this is good stuff. I'm telling you, maybe you need to listen to this message again online, but this is good stuff. Because apostolic ministry is God's idea. And we still need it today. It's God's idea, and we still need it today. These are gifts from God, and we still need it today. How do I know that? How do I know that? Because the church is still not fully mature. Because the church is not all grown up yet. We're not all grown up. We're little grown up. And it says these gifts were given to grow us up, to mature us until we attain a fullness of maturity in Him. To equip us for the good works. Friends, are you telling me that there's any of us in this room that are fully equipped for the work of ministry that we've been called to? Friends, I can't even get the name of sermon series rights. Like, five years later, i got to come back and recant. It's not the pastoral letters. It's the apostolic letters. Apostolic, I don't know. I digress. So earlier I said, speaking of digressing, I guess I didn't digress. I segued. So I talked about Timothy and Titus and that they were representatives in an apostolic function and I told you that I'd circle back on this later. So like I mentioned Craig Herbert. 
when a guy like Craig Herbert or Jody Romero comes in here. Okay, Craig is an elder at Cornerstone Church in Johannesburg, South Africa. Jody Romero is an elder at uh, Restoration LA in East LA. But when they come into this place, they're coming in apostolic representation because they're part of a bigger team. Okay? So it's not Pastor Jody who's coming in. It's Jody, gift of God, here to strengthen this local church in an apostolic function. It's Craig Herbert, gifted of God, to come in here and strengthen the local church so we can be pointed to Jesus, so that we can be strong, so that the elders can be strong, so that the church can be strong, so that we can make sure that our doctrine is good. But it's the same thing that Timothy and Titus did. Representatives of Apostle Paul and Ty in a million years would never call himself uh, Apostle Tyron, which is usually a pretty good indication that, you know, if someone's like insisting upon you call him Apostle something, come on now. But let's just say, Craig came in here representing Apostle Tyron as a part of that team whose, whose purpose is to be an apostolic prophetic team to strengthen the local church. We're a part of that team, you guys. We're in relationship with that team. Why? Because we have that same commitment to to help strengthen other churches. Next month in October, I'm going out to to like the, river, the Riverside area where, where we took the kids for Rise Up. Um, and actually, men, if any of you men want to come out with me, just let me know. But uh, the elders out there sent a text to a bunch of guys going, hey, if you want to come out here and strengthen our men, we want you to come to this men's advance and just come and strengthen our men. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll give you opportunity to do that, but we invite you to come in. And I got that text in, in July, like in the July, early, early August. And I sat on it and I'm like, no, I, I got to go, man. I, I got to go help strengthen a bunch of men and point them to Jesus. Because that's part of the commitment we make as being a part of this this apostolic prophetic team is we're not just going to make it about ourselves. We're going to make it about the big C church, the big church, while strengthening the little C church here. But you know what? Let's just imagine, and this would be totally inappropriate, by the way, totally inappropriate. But let's just say that um, for that men's advance, that like, Andy wanted to come with me, and that part would be appropriate. But then let's say Kara's like, yeah, I want to come strengthen the men too. So then Kara's like, I'll, I'll, I'll come too. That would be inappropriate and weird. But let's say the three of us, and we do the majority, I mean, like we, we, we do almost the entirety of the preaching here at Impact Rock, right? If the three of us went out there in California to that men's advance, what a shame it would be if there weren't four or five people in this church that we couldn't say, Chris, I need you to bring the word this week, man. I, I need you to challenge the church. So so I want you to bring the word. I need you to I need you to preach this week. We're gonna be gone a couple weeks. You got next week. The church, when we're strengthened, especially with this apostolic function, especially I think I mean I'm excited for next week. When we're strengthened and we're equipped, we're better prepared to be used by the Lord. Apostolic function. 
why do I camp on this? Because next week Tyron's going to be here. And I don't want us to look at this as a guest speaker. That is not what this is. I, I send out, if you're not on the church email, then then see Andy so we can get you added to the all church email. But I sent out an email this week. How many of you guys got the email I sent out about the team meeting? Okay, if you didn't if you didn't get it, then make sure we have your email address. But here's what I did. I threw it out there to everyone and said, everyone's invited to this team meeting with a caveat. Don't come to this team meeting just to be uh, edified individually. Don't come if you just want to be edified and built up individually. That's not what our team meetings are about. And that's not what our team is about. That's what my relationship with the Lord is about. I get built up, and I get built up in other ways. But I said, if you want to come to this meeting, be prepared to then put it into action and do work to strengthen the local church and advance the kingdom of God. Then you can come to this team meeting, and and you can sit there and glean and and receive from what the Lord has. Tyron's leading that meeting. I'm not leading that meeting. You're not leading that meeting. Tyron's leading that meeting. And it's here at the church because... My living room is probably not big enough. Well, I know it's not big enough because we've got a bunch of boxes in it right now. We believe in you. When I talk about elders and I talk about apostles today, I hope you heard that I'm talking about you. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about us, the team, that we're part of something bigger. That we're part of something bigger and that we're called to do this together. And we got a word last week that, that was just encouraging. It talked about a, about a new season. Man, and I'm always on the lookout for the newness of God. When I hear a word like that, I never take it lightly. Who doesn't want a new season? I can't wait for fall to get here. Actually, fall might be here right now. You know why? Because pumpkin spice latte is back. That's, and football is back. Now we just need some 70-degree some weather. And for that to stay for a couple months. I love fall. I'm ready for a new season. I love summer, but I'm ready for fall. Church, we're called to this together. We're called to this together. We're talking about team. I'm talking about team. But we need to be equipped. We do. We need to be corrected. I am so glad that I could stand up here and say, hey, I I had the title wrong of that series in 2012 and 2013 because it went for like six months. I'm so glad I can stand up here and say, I've been corrected. I got the right answer now. Honestly, I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound stupid or be stupid. Mark, what is this made out of? I don't know, adamantium? I don't know. This part's wood, this part's, Metal, I don't know. But I want the right answer. Two plus two is what? Nine. We gotta be teachable, we gotta be learnable, we gotta be growable, but friends, we gotta be hungry. If you know it all, if we know it all, if I know it all, then I'm in trouble. I can't be used anymore. I can't. The minute I stop being teachable, the minute I start learning, I'm unusable. 